0: I'll be damned, you old SOB. Coop, is that you? It's me, man. Is this you, Brandon? Welcome to the Streak of Lean. Oh man, how you doing?
1: I'm all right, man. Sitting up at the uh, Waverly Minute Mart. Matter of fact, I'm gonna you're gonna hear my truck start. I'm at, I'm facing the road. I like to face the gas station. I like to see the people walk in and out. So I'm going to, while we're chit-chatting in the beginning, I'm going to turn around. Uh, What are you doing?
0: I am getting my stuff together to go to Tifton this weekend for the Georgia Organics Conference. Oh, That'll be cool. Yeah, that's right. Uh, It's pretty exciting. Um, That is
1: pretty exciting.
0: And uh, I think uh, we'll talk about this in a second, but um, this is going to be the first of a couple part episode. Um, this is the lead-in, hopefully, guys, for um, actually our live recordings from the Georgia Organics Conference tomorrow and, and Saturday in Tifton. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. A live recording from, it's like
1: going back to where we kind of, kind of, in, in a weird way where we've kind of started, you know?
0: It is. A little, a little bit, you know? Yeah.
1: When we were wide-eyed and
0: bushy-tailed. Yeah, my tail's not so bushy anymore. Um, now you're but, just uh, full of piss and vinegar. Well, how, how, how was your January? All right, so um, my January has been pretty good. Um, no, it's not been pretty good. What am I talking about? Um, no, so, uh, you know, the last episode we talked about, or I talked about regularity quite a bit when it comes to trying to figure out like, how to conduct business in this current political environment, especially if you're associated with the USDA at all. Um, and I talked about how the regularity for farmers and business owners who also have gotten um, contracts through the USDA, the Small Business Administration, uh, cost share um, initiatives that they're enrolled in who've, um, who um, are, are just working with the government in some form or fashion and had expected that relationship to persist into 2019. Like, what an incredible disruption it is for their business, their income. Um, and, for example, you know, I've, I've written these value-added producer grants for um, business owners. And uh, there's uh, the timber company I'm working with. And they they were they thought they would get $33,000 in, in late December. And then they were going to bill for another $20,000 this year through this grant program. And that's fifty grand. you know, that, like that they were counting on as part of their income this year um, the last two months it did not materialize 50 g's yeah um, yeah and uh, that's the same one whose georgia pacific plant closed mm-hmm. so you know it, like it's an important thing right like to have this grant now to think about okay how do they buy their time as they try to find a new customer mm-hmm. um, but it's the know, same
1: guy that you touched on in
0: the chicken slime episode. That's right. The infamous chicken slime episode. The I think or it would probably be a cult classic uh, when we come back <laughs> in a couple of years. People realize the kind of gold they missed. Don't be turned off by the chicken slime title. It's, uh, it's got some good stuff in there. We may have to surface it or resurface some of that information later on. Uh, maybe do a, a special repost with the add-on editorial when they um, – when they have the Library of Congress um, reissue of, of the <laughs> Strigaline podcast,
1: and it's it's the last episode that we did when I did not have earbuds. Oh, that's right. So, and it's it's our least it's our least listened to episode. Uh, we found out. I don't know if that's the title or what, but there is some good. I mean, Don has a great story in that episode about a uh, a, a woman. Or a, I guess a couple that lived on his his dad's farm when he was growing up, and they lived in a in a trailer out there. They worked on the farm.
0: The Durdens and,
1: and the the woman would entice the uh, the the chicken house feed man by walking out on the in front of, on the porch in front of the trailer without her shirt on.
0: The egg truck driver, yeah, um, the
1: egg the egg man. The egg, I'm the egg man. Oh my god! Like I mean, if that doesn't entice the egg man, then what does?
0: There's another man. There's a whole episode on the Durdens. Um, that house, they were really sweet, but it was Nancy and her family. Her father was had dementia and was in a uh, a home in like upstate, maybe up toward Tokoa or maybe even in upstate South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But when he he would get out all the time, and all he could remember was my dad's name. And so the if the police would take him back to the, our farm, and then they'd have to take him back to South Carolina. Wow! But, but she. See, he – it's a weird thing, man. He married uh, – he used to live – had a little, like, real poor homestead out where Road Atlanta is. I don't know if – y'all might be familiar with that, some listeners. It's in South Hall next to Jackson County. That's where my family farm is. We have – that's where my family comes from. And um, he married this woman. I can't remember Mrs. Durden's first name, but she, she was a little uh, – when you say touched, how, how do you – what do you think about that? Like, what do you think that defines? Touched. I'd say she's just, uh, you know, kind of eccentric. All right. So she wasn't. She's more slow then. Okay. Uh, but you can really say nice. That. But yeah, and she. Had... I think you're
1: still allowed to say that.
0: Slow. Yeah. All right. Um.
1: Just me- mentally, mentally, you know, not maybe not on the level of your
0: average person. That's right. Um. And she had a, uh, I, she had a lazy eye, and and she. Dang, you're uh, blow you're blowing this whole story for me. I pictured her not like this. No, 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 no. So I'm I'm not telling this whole story. Um, but I just let No, so... I've had a mint I've had a running picture of her that of the way I pictured her, you know, going out in front of the trailer without her top uh, oh. on. Oh no, no. So this is different. So that's her so Mrs. Oh, Jordan, okay. at least this is I... the mom. Yes, yes. And I she see. She uh, passed on that the lazy eye genes to all of her children except for Nancy, um, the topless wonder. That, that's right, and uh, and, yes. and Nancy was full bosomed, and she, <laughs> she I and mean, she was a go getter. She was a really amazing, obviously, and, <laughs> she's an amazing person, um, but. You know she's looking after. So in that trailer, which was I, I guess I mean it's a double wide. It's not a big trailer. Maybe it May was a double wide. Uh, mm-hmm. It was not a huge trailer, but it was her husband, who's from South Carolina, and whose grandmothers were sisters. And then it was her mother, Mrs. Durden, her brother Danny, her sister Janie, and her younger brother, youngest brother, Lukey, and Luki Dookie. and Luke was like nine, whereas like the next. Youngest one was like 25. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Janie was like five 600 pounds. And she would fall through the floor. She would fall. She'd get on the toilet. And if she would fall through the floor. Oh. Um, uh, there's a whole other story there. But, yeah, so so I, I think what happened with uh, with Nancy what? is that she was, just got tired of that shit. She got tired of being married to an inbred guy and having to, like, look after her family all the time. And then here comes William, the egg truck driver, pulling in every morning at 530. And she decided mm-hmm. she would just like change her shirts stay right in front of the front window mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then and then they had this weird thing where William moved down there for a while, and bill her husband was still hanging out and then was william
1: after... was william pretty strapping a strapping yeah life? yeah, he
0: was strapping he was he was yeah. uh, he was beefy um, sure and and there was also i forget there was uh uh there was a guy that lived in an r v uh underneath the lean to next to the uh, mobile home, and uh, I cannot remember his name right now. Um. Alright, so
1: look, I'm gonna let y'all in on a little secret. Located right in the heart of beautiful St. Simons Island, Georgia, right on Mallory Street, right downtown, right in the village, 407 Mallory. The Georgia Sea Grill. Just flat out, just great people, great ingredients, incredible food. Local stuff, chef tim back in the kitchen this dude man i love this guy i deal with him regularly he is one of my favorite customers he is a joy to deal with and i don't just say that me and my wife look we don't go out very often okay we got three young kids we got football baseball you know ballet church hey man so much stuff going on you know how it is recently we were able to go out to the georgia sea grill it was fantastic. We started off with oysters. We followed that up with some, uh, some uh, bison uh, Car- carpaccio, which is a, actually a Georgia bison. It's sourced from, from this bison farm right up the road in Darien. And then after that, we had some grassroots farms, uh, pork ravioli, and then followed that up with a uh, fresh local catch of the day. It was blackened. It was incredible. Everything was great. We even ran into some onion grower friends of ours from Reedsville as we were leaving. So it was like the perfect night. The ambiance, the vibe was cool. It's approachable, but it feels intimate. It's my kind of spot. It's like the kind of spot where you go and you leave and you feel good about what you just did. It's great. You got to check it out. Georgia Sea Grill, four hundred seven Mallory Street, Saint Simon's Island. Uh, I'd love to hear more about it. I mean, seriously, that that chicken slime episode. You know, it was it was the last of the probably poor audio episodes, but. I mean if you haven't listened to it, we do we do talk a lot about maybe it's the title it's off putting I think it is i mean it's you know, but we do touch on chicken slime and and stuff like that, and it, you know hey i mean it's not all it's not all you know we're not we're not um,
0: i don't know chickens aren 't flowers i mean <laughs> yeah I, yeah i I think you know part of our our intention too is not to glamorize everything everything's been too glamorized through you know modern farmer and <laughs> Uh, your, your glossy magazines and, and we're not against these stories that come out in the magazines. We just don't want to promulgate fiction when um, it's a disservice yeah, to the reality it of, is. of everybody. It is. Plus
1: modern farmer never has never asked me to take over their IG page. Ooh. And I know why, because why? I'm I'm not glossy enough. That's right. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not. And I try not to do that on my Instagram, on my, my farm Instagram page. I mean, I, you know, I don't like it's not like I post a screenshot of like when my bank account is like overdrawn, you know, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you know, but yeah. I could. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you it, it happens and uh that'd be a great episode to talk about that. But I do try to, you know, as they say, keep it keeps it real. And I, I do think that maybe I'm not I'm just not quite glossy enough uh, for them. But the, the interesting thing about that, you know, the flip side to that is that, you know, it's like here's a guy, you know, I figured out a way to at least make an income right? and I've stuck with it. And you know, so what, it's not glossy. I'm not trying to paint a glossy picture. I'm just trying to paint a, my voice is like my own voice, you know? Well, you i it's know, not, I'm not branding in other words. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm branding. I feel like I'm being pretty much when I'm on social media, I'm pretty much being myself, just myself. And I don't really think about Oh, is this going to turn off somebody? You know, or, I don't really try to do all that. I'm not branding, I'm just being myself. I'm,
0: for shits and giggles, that's all. Well, I think the chicken slime episode was also one where, it, you know, things kind of evolved in that uh, subject wise that maybe we hadn't planned, but also you know, we're kind of conscious of like, okay, what is an audience? And, and do we, uh, you know, people, we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, I've, I've I constantly am, am surprised and humbled by some of the positive feedback no not some of all the positive feedback that i hear mm-hmm. which i just can't believe that people are actually saying this stuff to me um,
1: it's unbelievable
0: I, yeah well then i get you know there's a, a moment of uh, of hesitation when someone sends me a text that says you know i cannot wait to listen to this um and I, this person i really admire to send a text and said oh i heard about your podcast I'm about to cook supper for, you know, the the boys and my husband. I can't wait to put it on. And I can think I was like, (laughs) you know, the adventures of uh, Birdman and Pussy Boy may not not play well at six (laughs) o'clock on a Tuesday. Why Um, wouldn't
1: it? Why wouldn't it, though? (laughs) (laughs) It's relatable. Maybe you don't have the same nicknames, you know, or whatever. (laughs) But, um, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead. It it is. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. It makes you feel... I mean, it's super, super humbling, right?
0: Totally. And I tell you, you know, the, the thing about this is that uh, you can't, you know, if, if you want to write, be a writer, the thing is you can practice and then, you know, for two or three years, you can write a novel for 10 years if you want to and before you let somebody see it and kind of get better and better at writing. You know, any kind of art, any kind of craft there is, um, mm-hmm. anything, right? Practice makes perfect. But you can't practice this without publishing like, you know, I mean, we could have, I guess, spent 10 to 15 hours of just you and me talking on the phone, recording it, and then coming back and, like, listening to it. But it feels like the only way that you're going to be able to actually, like, get better is just to do it and put it out there. And, mm-hmm. and when I hear listen to us, you know, I'm highly self-critical. In fact, I'm not just, like, self-critical. I'm, I have felt in the last year kind of really private and shy and uncertain with kind of who I am and what I've been trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some other reasons for that that I would go into, maybe not today, but I'd be happy to. Um, But just, you know, when I I hear us or hear myself talk, I hear someone constantly searching for the right words and kind of fumbling to do that. And then, of course, there's also that that um, governor out there saying, well, don't say something stupid. Don't say something that's insensitive. Um, You know, be honest, be real. Try to, you know, when it when it feels right, use the words that feel right. But also don't say something stupid because it was just, um, you know, a poor choice of words and bad language when um, that could cause a problem for us. Right. Mm-hmm, I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, there's a sense of like when you put your voice public, like, uh, you know, are you just opening yourself up for, um, criticism and not that we're that big a deal.
1: <laughs> True, but it is tough. It is tough to like, I mean, it, yeah, it's like, re- it's really humbling. I, I walk into restaurants and they'll, you know, people say they they like it or they listen to it. And it's like, I always feel like, wow, man, it's so incredible. Like that people would take time to listen to it. But I'm with you with that. It, it is, it's tough. I get, I'm very used to talking like I'm on a job site, you know, yeah. or like I'm at the farm and that's how pretty much how I talk. And I do in real life, I do cuss a lot. And yeah, I'm not really concerned. I don't really say a lot of, a lot of like offensive stuff to begin with, but I probably, it could, some things I say probably could be insensitive to the, if somebody didn't know me, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it is, it's like, you can't practice and you gotta, gotta just put it out there. I enjoy listening to you when I, when I re-listen to it, I think that you sound really uh, like well thought out and, and he's, you're, you're so well-spoken. And, well, um, thank you, Ben.
0: Seriously. I find, I find you really uh, well-spoken and, and, and fun and entertaining, and, and, and you have a, a, a new and neat perspective on stuff that I'm just not used to. You're so quick, and you have such a good memory um, that I feel like just half as cool as you are. Oh, I, wouldn't, that much. Say that.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I genuinely, my wife listened to it, and she was like, you sound, I, you are, con-. she was like, you cut him off. Like she was like, I almost was stopping, listen can stop, listening to it because you kept cutting Don off and I wanted to hear him. And I was like, honey, I don't, I don't mean to do that. I mean, it's not like I want to hear what Don has to say too. I think you must've just caught a snippet where it is, it is difficult to, because we record this and we're like, I'm at the Waverly Minute Mart in, in beautiful North Camden County, Georgia. And, and Don is somewhere else. And so there's no visual cues and it's difficult to, you know, to like know when to talk, you know, without cutting the other person off.
0: That's right. There's an art of listening too that. We never thought about in a, in a real practical level. Like you have to like, it is, you have to get good at this. This is not just having a phone conversation for an hour.
1: No, it's not. You have to like, and you do have to kind of think about what you're talking about in terms of like, is this, is it, is this even remotely interesting, you know, or whatever. But I, I thoroughly enjoy the podcast. I really enjoy having a voice and, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start, you know, it's like what you said about the writing, like you can, but I think you do a, when you do a podcast, it it does kind of, you know, you start thinking like, maybe I should, you know, write a little bit or maybe, and it's fun, you know, it's like a voice that, I mean, let's face it, when you're out like doing doing construction you know building a fence in somebody's yard or at the farm or whatever those are uh i love doing both of those things but it's not like you really have a voice and with this you do and it, it's really cool I, I enjoy it
0: yeah i totally agree um all right let, let's uh let's move on real quick because this kind of segues into um some of the writing the creativity i think that the sparks um so just just business mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. for everybody uh, we've we've had some issues with the Anchor recording app this week, and so we're going to be a little late coming back with the, the next episode. That ultimately, this might be good news because Spotify has purchased Anchor, and so hopefully, uh, as this uh, uh, as everything transitions over to Spotify, we're going to have more in depth metrics um, in terms of like. Uh, who's listening? Um, better analytics as far as where they're listening, folks listening. But also, I think some better integration of some kind of, of hopefully music, hopefully um, segueing transitional music. And then, um, on that same token, uh, the website is up, but the website is uh, under works or in progress. I think it'll never be done. Uh, but we're really, what you're trying to do is, is is put up, you know, our Instagram feed, put up the web, put up each episode. Maybe have some, well, hopefully have some show notes. For each episode and then we'll have some other things that kind of excite us and we feel like it's entertaining my ultimate goal for the website is for it to be weird and fun and with that in mind that means that like it may never be done um, because it's going to be constantly be something hopefully that's playful and and odd and you know includes I think both our personalities but you know celebrates this kind of I guess southern culture that we both love and breathe Mm -hmm. yeah like
1: what it's like, uh, that's funny, man. It's, when you said playful, I was on an estimate way back in the day in Atlanta for a uh, landscaping job. And so it was like this big plant install. I think we did, did a deck and like a bunch of plants and stuff. But, um, I called this particular shrub. I was, I said, yeah, we can do some of these, uh, blah, 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 right here, you know, three gallon or whatever. And the woman's like, Oh, what's that look like? And I said, well, it's, you know, it's kind of like a, like a whimsical kind of shrub. <laughs> And she was like, I I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I sold the job, but, you know, I don't know, um, it's playful. I mean, this woman's freaking whimsical. I don't know. It's like a train ride with a stranger going through, you know, the dark of night. I don't know.
0: That does not sound whimsical, dude. That's a stranger uh, on a train in the middle of the night. That is not whimsical. That's threatening. It's a bush. What do you want me to say? (laughs)
1: It's green. It's leafy. It'll occupy some space. Do you want it?
0: Uh, I think that's. I think that's a great way to describe your small business. Whatever your serv- <laughs> if your services are whimsical, I think, uh, like I'm in, man. Oh, we're prone to flights of fancy.
1: You know, one of the cooler things has happened to me as a result of starting this farm has been, you know, getting kind of easing into that world of social media, you know, kind of at first, like reluctantly. But but over time, you know, you grow to love it. And and um, man, I, I, I truly enjoy it now. And I got to say, one of the accounts that I really enjoy going back and forth with and uh, who, who I've always felt like really believes in what I do is at Classic Georgia on Instagram www.classicgeorgia.com Classic Georgia on Twitter, Facebook. Look, it's run by a guy who's a damn good dog to begin with, right? And then the stuff that he's posting up, the content that he's given you is like, you know, a lot of rural stuff. He'll give you some great pictures. Um, He'll post up other people's pictures. You know, somebody travels to Lumber City or Dalton or Rome, you know, and they tag him. Chances are he's gonna post it up. Um, I love seeing that that side of Georgia. Obviously, I mean, I, I live in South Georgia, and I love I love it when I can see South Georgia on on some you know nice looking Instagram page. I think it's great, and Classic Georgia definitely does that. He sells T shirts, hats. Um, I got this sweet uh, T shirt that says Patron for the Masters Week. Um, it's too cool, man. I love it. It's uh, Classic Georgia. Check it out.
0: Just talk about Instagram for a second, because you had a real popular Instagram post this week that kind of defied expectations. And Apparently, since you, you were there, do you want to give us some context about yeah, that sure. post? Sure, I'm back. I'm back here. I come here almost every day. I mean, what is here? Um, the
1: Waverly Minute Mark. Now, and and the reason for that is my farm is in North Camden. So, there's two parts of Camden County. You got St. Mary's and Kingsland, which are to the south. And then as you go north, up Highway 17 or up 95, whichever, you get close to Glen County, but you're in this space between Woodbine and Brunswick. And that's essentially where Waverly is. And so there's this little gas station in Waverly called the Waverly Minute Mart. And basically the guy that, um, I gotta move my truck, this, a mail truck is trying to get where I'm at. Hold on. So, anyways, um, the guy that runs the Waverly Minute Mart is named Jay, and he's super friendly. Uh, he's like the last of the of the you know gas station owners that you kind of had back in the probably seventies. You know, before say um, the two thousands. You know, where the where gas stations started to become like kind of impersonal. You know. Yeah, yeah. And and you can come in the Waverly Minute Mart, and it's the only store that's around and he carries most everything you know he, he'll have oysters he'll have um he stocks topo chico water uh basically for me i mean <laughs> me and like the rogue mexican that comes through because <laughs> the guy that works at night I, I buy the mess out of that water i just it, it's refreshing to me i know it's kind of trendy and i i kind of hate that it's sort of trendy but i genuinely like it, it it's refreshing i work outside and uh Brandon, the,
0: yeah uh, uh Brandon, sorry what is what is sorry i mean i work with brendan's and brandon's and brendan's yeah so. no, no it's, it's all but, that you
1: don't know my name <laughs> <'cause. laughs>
0: what um uh, wait what can you, what is this water is it bubbly is it's it a
1: it's just a mineral water but it's from mexico and it's bottled it was like the water of the gods back in the day huh. and it's just it's got a really high mineral content and i i'm a believer in like probiotics and um, I like I believe I believe that that you're lacking something being if you're just drinking like city water like I think that the mineral content is not probably what it should be so like if you're on well water I feel like the mineral and it's no science this is just me making myself feel like I'm doing something extra you know but I think in mineral water you probably get magnesium and salt yeah so it's almost like a natural electrolyte as opposed to just a cup of regular tap water and it, but it's carbonated. So it's fizzy. And it's just, I just find it like very refreshing, but it is, it's like a different kind of taste. But I asked Jay if he would stock it for me and he did. And the guy that used to work here at nighttime, uh, it was funny. I bought a bottle and he was like, yo man, I tried out some of that water. (laughs) He goes, Yo man, I tried out some of that water that you'd be getting and I don't like it worth a damn. (laughs) And I was like, well, Carlton, that's cool. You don't gotta like the water. I like it. It's the the water of the gods. If it's good for, you know, millions of Mexicans over the course of time, it's good enough for me, you know? And, uh, but anyways, it's like, you know, you can get, um, Jay Cook's burgers during the day. Um, they got some dynamite burgers. They'll have like different stuff during deer season, like potato soups and stuff like this. And, um, So on his counter, you know, you got this homemade cakes, you got his advertisements for bait shrimp and oysters. And I just put the, I just took a picture of what I was buying, which was the water in a bag of Lay's chips and um, just his little signs and stuff. And I I don't know why people seem to take to that so much, but I enjoy coming here. And um, I like it when I walk in and and he's like, hey, Brandon, how you doing? And he talks for a few minutes, you know what I mean? And there's some old men sitting in the back every day you know and i enjoy that he sells hay he sells uh different types of feeds up here and um it's just kind of a throwback and i i enjoy it so i i tend to come here a lot
0: yeah i really enjoy and miss like the casual social engagement that happens you know at, at little stores you know where you just go up and, and it's almost your friends you know mm-hmm. just like cut some chit chat um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, it's a nice fabric of a community or it's like maybe a nice, you know, having a store like really makes a community.
1: Oh, he's the pulse of, of the Waverly community, I, I think, without a doubt. And, the, and, and it's just, it, yeah, it's great, man. You could find out what's going on. Um, and it's old school, you know, If something, if somebody needs something or something like that, you could always probably get the answer to your question at the Waverly Martin. Yeah.
0: I, I feel like pretty, pretty certain. Are there always people there just hanging out? Uh,
1: it's a pretty, it's, it stays pretty crowded, you know? Um, the girls that work at, ni- they got uh, these young ladies that work at nighttime now, and they're real personable, too. And, um, yeah, there's pr- pr- a pretty steady flow of people. It looks like an unassuming gas station because he's got, like, burglar bars on the windows
0: <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, I've been by it, man. I never thought that it was such a, um, a mecca of activity. I don't know why he's got the burglar
1: because Waverly is totally the type of place that you don't really hear of any, any crime, so to speak out here. You know, it's like pretty, people pretty much know each other. Maybe because the only thing I can figure he's on 17. And if you've never been on highway 17, there is uh, a plethora of hitchhikers. So there's always like transients kind of passing through on 17. And uh, that's the only thing I can figure, but he seems to do a brisk business, you know, and I enjoy it. He doesn't carry local Camden County oysters. Somebody mm. a- asked about that. But see that people ask about that. But local oysters are not easy to find to begin with. Right. And it, and I'm sure there's nobody knocking. He has offered and he's going to be carrying uh, Grassroots Farms pork, which will be sweet. Um, I'm not expecting that it would move a whole lot, but it's kind of cool. can you sell as a sausage yeah i'm going to sell them i'm getting my label approved and then i'll be able to have uh pork you know basically like retail packs cryovac and with my label on them and it's just usda inspected and just like you find in the grocery store and so he's going to sell um smoked sausage fresh sausage and pork chops and maybe some some butts every once in a while or something like that but you know because it's like I do need a place where I could tell people, Hey, well, if you want to buy it retail, you can go here. And I just think it's cool that he
0: wants, that he would do that. That is super cool. I mean, that really is. You think about like if, if gas stations started to buy local food, like he is like uh, more gas stations did that. Just, just imagine, man. Right. I mean, just imagine one gas station, in every community decided they would, they would support a local farmer's products.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. It, and, and it's cool. You know, it's like, it, it And it, I think it's I personally think it's cool because it is it isn't the type of place that you probably would think would have that, you know, and and so the fact that they do, you know, it's it's almost like maybe maybe the answer to a lot of those local food questions does lie more in the community because we, you know, speaking of those local oysters, we do have a place in Camden um, White House Seafood that you can go get Crooked River Oysters you know, and, and local stuff. And, and maybe it is, maybe it's, maybe it's not a whole foods. Maybe when we're thinking whole foods and we're thinking that type of stuff, maybe for the average um, farmer that's in my range of farming, maybe we're
0: thinking too big. Well, you know, the whole thing about the local food, small farm, it's not about being able to grow. It's the distribution. Like that's the thing that keeps everything held up. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, the, like we have whole food sounds great, but for all the farmers that I've ever worked with in, in Georgia, outside of white oak pastures, I wouldn't say I've even worked with white oak pastures. You know, the problem with having a retail store that's down that size or has multiple outlets is that you cannot, like cannot keep up with the supply. Mm-hmm. You have to be huge. And so for fo- small folks, like they got to have, they got to have proportionate um, outlets and distribution, Um, but they don't also have the scale or the money to be able to invest in that. There's no infrastructure for that. So, you know, maybe, maybe you're on to like uh, providentially, like, you know, this is the answer that no one really like thought about. That's Um, what
1: I'm going to do in Camden. I'm just going to, basically I'm going to keep putting my catering vibe out. I got a big event coming up at St. Simon's um, like a barbecue and blues festival at this new venue called village. Creek. It's not a new venue. Village Creek has been there for forever, but, they got new owners and they're doing these cool events and stuff. And so I'm, I'm cooking up a hog. That's uh, February 23rd, and that's kind of I, I've kind of decided, you know. And it's just I, I actually I wouldn't say I've decided. It's sort of been revealed to me just through experience that like my path to do this is based on going out and getting construction jobs you know, so that I'm not squeezing financially, squeezing the life out of my farm and I can actually enjoy it. And then do that for maybe half of my money. And then the other half of my money, what I'm going to concentrate on doing is just trying to get, you know, it's like the Waverly Minute Mart scenario over and over and over around Camden and Glen County. And not that, you know, not that it's going to sell gangbusters or anything like that. I mean, it might, but you know, but then people have the option to buy it and then it's doable for me and keep my restaurants on the coast, you know, do the the whole coast of the restaurants like I've been doing down to Jacksonville. But then if, if, as long as I'm in that, in those parameters, I'm not burning up the mileage, you know, and I'm not having to deal with like the whole foods, like, you know, even like the animal welfare certifi- yeah. certifications and all this type of stuff. It's like, you just don't have the money for that you know and and, and yeah. i mean you got to like i i am just going to try to do that and see what happens you know but i feel like it's a pretty good model for right now i'm, I'm excited about it and i i think that there's a few places in camden uh in Glen that would actually stock my meat once i'm able to i got to get this stupid label approved and once i once i do that then i think it'll be on you know
0: yeah, that's a I, I you know to just take take a step back um there uh, there is there there has been some work in Detroit to use convenience stores um as like a vehicle for getting local food out but um i i read I reviewed a bunch of grants last year um, from michigan based nonprofits and universities trying to create um, healthy food access for people who lived in food deserts and so obviously they're using gas stations and convenience stores mm-hmm. the The problem with all those grants though is that most of the times they focus more on the food desert and not how to actually connect the local farmers to getting the the product into that convenience store. So most of those didn't get funded. But the other thing is that they all were based on fresh produce and, and, you know, there's some cool stuff where basically, you know, the nonprofit would come in and install uh, a refrigeration unit that would have um, produce. And then uh, it would be like kind of an addition to what was already being offered in the convenience store. But then they'd have to do all this training. So they would train the the store owner about, you know, um, how to how to like, like know when to move inventory around, when to throw out product, but also then also how to market that stuff to the community because it's so different from what to expect a convenience store. No one ever talked about meat side of things, and like it seems like meat works really well in a convenience store, right? I mean, like it's already frozen, or yeah, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about spoilage. No uh, people. You know, you don't have to educate people how to eat sausage. No, as
1: long as you can get it to where it's relatively, it can't be just, you know, crazy prices. But as long as you, I think with the mentality of like, hey, look, if I go into it with the mentality of I just want, I want to be able to supply food, you know, it's going to have to cost what it costs. But say you're paying for, you know, a pound of smoked sausage, you're paying like eight bucks or something. Like, I don't feel like that that's too out of the realm of, you know, it's like, that's, I think we're both winning on that.
0: Yeah, well, you need to put your picture up, um, like Whole Food style, uh, up uh, above the um, the sausage case at the Waverly Minute Mart.
1: <laughs> Maybe I'll come in and like, I'll plug in a little oven, like a hot plate, and I'll stand outside and be <laughs> like, hey, man, you
0: want to try some sausage? you could do that, man. Hey, dude, but, uh, get
1: you a Mexican water and wash it down, bro. I swear, <laughs> you'll love it. Hey, do you, do you dip, man? Hey, if you dip, you gotta try this water out. It'll wash your dip out like nothing. It's crazy.
0: Um, you know, on that note, the Whole Foods, uh, the I, I know farmers who are pictured in Whole Foods in Atlanta who do not farm anymore. You know, so you have like, oh. like when, when we get frustrated <laughs> with the promotional marketing part. Like there is, you know, like my folks grow, still have organic eggs that are going to Whole Foods. Um, And there are other farms who are in their kind of cluster and their network of farms are all growing for the same integrator. And like you can go into the Whole Foods. Maybe not now. I've been there in a year or so. But for last year, years before that, there was a farmer who had gotten his chickens pulled because of the unsanitary condition of his chicken houses. But if you go into the egg case at Whole Foods, there he is smiling, holding the chicken. (laughs) <laughs> is that see i haven't been in a, that's great i mean they really have
1: pictures of like the individual farmers
0: like we don't they have do, a whole foods
1: yeah. around here so i don't i haven't been in whole foods to, maybe since we lived off of la vista way back in the
0: day they do i mean and, and i each one's a little bit different i know the Ponce has got them and then uh, the john's creek's got it my my stepmom i think you can see her and my brother at the at the john's creek uh, whole foods but my brother they had a, a meeting there with like some of the like the buying team and um, my brother, he wears a pistol on him wherever he goes. Uh, he's on the SWAT team now, but at that time, I don't think he was on the force. And uh, they, my, she, my stepmom and he got in, like a knockdown drag because he insisted on wearing the gun into the Whole Foods to the, the meeting with the buyers. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think yeah, I think he won. I think he I think he brought it in there. I can't remember how that played out. No, that's too good
1: i mean what is your your mom thinking like it's going to be off-putting to have a gun yeah
0: yeah, just not necessary (laughs) yeah these people don't like they're not going to be comfortable with you with this pistol on your on your side yeah 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 that's right but we have i mean yeah yeah. that's cool i mean we grew up with guns hundreds and hundreds we have hundreds of guns hundreds of guns my brother has hundreds of guns himself i mean like we just we have we're a gun family Mm -hmm. and uh um, just grow up, you know, shooting, not necessarily killing stuff, just shooting because we enjoyed shooting. And, mm-hmm. um, and then my brother, I think my brother's a really good cop, but he, uh, he almost like was already ready to be a cop. You know, he, he liked driving fast and he liked to shoot guns and he already had all the equipment. And so it was like, well, why don't I just pay to do this? But he, he is, he used to shoot competitively. Um, and he would win comp- every time he would, people, I went to one of his competitions. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know, a 9 millimeter pistol. And um, he, would, uh, he would shoot, and when it was his turn, everybody would crowd around his little, like, firing uh, booth because he was so good. Wow. And it's the kind of thing where, like, you have to, you, you holster, you pull, you fire, then you holster, then you pull, and you fire, and you holster. So you got to move, too, as you, like, go through the exercise. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just blow everybody else away. It was, Billy's uh, a kid. It's, I'm pretty proud of him. But he also he – he did just kill somebody um, a couple weeks, a couple months ago on SWAT. Damn. Uh, that's, did I tell you that story? Did no. we talk about that? Well, we're not supposed to – we have to hurry up on this, but it was after the George lsu game. Um, it was that afternoon. He had just got done with SWAT school, and he was not allowed actually to be kind of engaging with – when there was a situation like that. He was supposed to be in the car as the driver. Because, you know, you're supposed to go have – so many months of, like, of training and, the, and then, like, on the job where you're not actually the one making those decisions, right? Or, you know, you just need to be familiar with the circumstances before mm-hmm. they, like, put you in the line of fire. But he said there were so many of the SWAT team that were drunk after the Georgia game that they could not um, come in for this situation in Lula um, where this guy had been, like, waving a gun at other people in the neighborhood. And so um, they called the cops, and then he was in there. I think he fired around at the cops. And they tried to get him come out, and then they, 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 you know, he said that they found out later that he thought that the government was after him, that that, that he was being spied on, and that there were robots that were, you know, monitoring his activities, and that you know he was kind of, I guess, paranoid schizophrenic. Um, but they touched. didn't know all this stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, in, in a major way, um, and so. Uh, like not knowing that stuff, they just also kind of exacerbated the situation. They they have this little robot that they put into that they'll put into a situation or a scene that has a little camera so they can see what's going on. So you know, oh. not knowing that this guy is paranoid about people, like about robots watching him, they threw a robot into the into the trailer and then the next thing you know, that row he threw the robot back out and then he stepped out and he fired. And I don't know if he was really trying to shoot somebody, but he definitely fired in the direction of the police. And my brother put eight. Uh, I got eight AR-15 shells in his chest um, like that. And then everybody else opened up on him. But, like, my brother's the kind of guy that, like, he's so well-trained and such a good shot that that guy, as soon as that guy, like, opened fire, like, he was dead. You know, like, there's no there's no accident. My brother will kill you if you – he will not miss.
1: Oh, that's unbelievable with the robot. I mean – and and yeah i mean I, what well, dude i mean if you open up on the cops right i mean
0: yeah th- there was no the, you know gbi came in they investigated everybody had um you know everybody had had to go off off duty for a week take a little vacation then had to come do some psychological tests afterwards like you know there was no everybody followed it was by the book everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do you know it, mm-hmm. i mean the only unfortunate thing is that you know how do you get around how do you help somebody who is got a gun and is not in the right mind. Um, and you know, just couldn't get past that barrier. Um, and once he, once he also had like, you know, barricaded himself in his house, like there was just, it's hard to deescalate that situation. Oh, for
1: sure. And then, you know, and then he's paranoid about robots and then he yeah, sees right. a robot and right. it's like, <laughs> I, I freaking knew it. That's
0: right. That's exactly what happened. Oh. Uh, all right, all right, so let's move on here. We've already talked for 40 minutes, Brandon, and we're not even – this is supposed to be a short episode to lead us into this weekend. Um, all right, a right, couple things, and maybe it's not a short episode. We'll just let it roll. Um, last bit of business, uh, I, I have a couple shout-outs i got to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is awesome. just uh, – before I forget, I want to shout-out to Captain Tucker and Captain Dylan. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, and also, Captain Dylan invited me to a party at Stankonia, this past week, and I, fortunately I could not make it. But um, he sent me some pictures from the Outcast Recording Studio. It seemed like it was a pretty cool party.
1: Oh, uh, uh, how
0: awesome! I can't, I can't handle with Captain Dylan. The last time I tried to hang out with him was probably the wildest night I've had in like five, ten years, and it ended with me being really drunk and trying to dunk like a one of those like remember those NCAA basketballs at Pizza Hut we gave you back in the nineties? Oh um, yeah. Like trying to dunk on a little goal with a, with a basketball like that in cowboy boots, and I probably got off got like three inches off the ground. And when I landed, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I gotta go home. <laughs> <Like> I, <laughs> I can't stand anymore." Um, no, no padding in those shoes. No, no, no. Um, so Dude, appreciate-
1: that's hot, man. A party and stank on you, man. I, you know, I was behind CeeLo one time at, at Walmart in Brookhaven. No way. Yeah, in line, and I was a huge Goody Mob fan back in the day, like. Outcast when when Southern Playlistic first came out, you know, and then Goody Mob came out, that first Soul Food album. That was before they really got got sexy, you know, and like now we were just huge outcast fans. So that first outcast album was so good, but then Goody Mob's first album, Soul Food, is a classic. It's a bona fide classic. So like I was behind CeeLo and I was like, Holy shit, I'm behind CeeLo. And, like, I didn't say anything to him. I didn't want to get all fanboy on him, you know. But he was just buying groceries, you know, cereal yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, like, right on, man. Yeah, that's how, awesome. Go how ahead. T- okay. How tall is he? He's really short. He's he?
1: short. He's a short guy. He's, 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 he's round, you know. But he's, he looks like he could hold his own. He's stocky, I guess you'd say. You know. But he's got that voice, you know, when, yeah. when Soul Food first came out, like all of them, Timo and Cujo and Big Gip and um, all Goody Mob, man. They were just like they were kind of underrated, you know, like you didn't hear as much about Goody Mob. I think you ended up hearing more about him because CeeLo went on and did the Gnarles Barkley stuff. And, right? You know, but back in those days, it was like. Like Goody Mob was was just sort of underrated, but they were a classic in Atlanta. And then Big Gip was like, you know, just like Gip, man. I mean, all Goody Mob, they were just incredible. Oh, spring is right around the corner. I'm so stoked. I love this time of year, March, February, where the weather starts warming up here in South Georgia and it just starts to feel good. You know, you start to want to get outside. Never mind, you know, the sand nets get a little active and that can be kind of aggravating. But man, that warm sun after that cold winter just feels great, you know. Look, on March 23rd at Gascoin Bluff on St. Simons. The St. Simon's Food and Spirits Festival is putting on this thing called Bites and Bands. It looks awesome, man. It's got the Pine Box Dwellers, Strawberry Flats, Randall Bramlett Band. Uh, it's all you can eat, drink, and listen for 75 bucks. It's right on the bluff. Super picturesque venue. Uh, right on the island. I'm sure it'll be awesome. I think that the Streak boys are going to put in an appearance and even... Do maybe a a live quote unquote episode from the uh, from the bites and Bands event. So it's March twenty third, Gascoin Bluff, St. Simon's Island, four to ten p.m. Be there, be square. Yeet. yeet.
0: Um, all right, so let's get back to biz here, um, like real biz, and then we'll uh, we'll get off the horn. All right, so back to January, um, just to finish up my <laughs> January, <laughs> just to visit my January real quick. So January, um, I, uh, yeah, it was a pretty rough January. I mean, thank God we got back in with um, the government, but uh, I realized in this whole process, you know, I, I don't really know how to define everything I do. So I, I'm, I'm a grant writer, which certainly like depends on the government. I'm also a consultant, which is hard, a really hard thing to explain to folks because, I do project management, project delivery. I help folks with marketing. I help people like think through farming decisions or startup farming decisions. Um, There's all kinds of stuff like just doesn't really fit into an elevator pitch, which, and and I'm also real like conscious not to like just throw a bunch of bullshit up and say synergy over and over again. Um, (laughs) But you know, there's like, That's something I do. Now, that's not as much affected by the government. But the last thing I also do is I'm funded through grants to do training and outreach and project delivery and direction for people. So right now I'm working for a group called Team Agriculture Georgia. Um, And in in conjunction with that, I'm working with the Seven Rivers Resource Conservation District, which is in Baxley, Georgia. And we are planning on we're putting together three free workshops by march 2020 um for small beginning veteran non-traditional socially disadvantaged low uh resource farmers um these are free we're going to try to bring in all the folks that who do good things in georgia which is you know department of ag dnr georgia organics um people who do food safety training, like uh, my, my man, Billy, um, other farmers to come in and talk about what it's like to do startup, like how to get through like some decision, decision-making, some of the pitfalls you have to look out for, maybe some bookkeeping, just all the things like, you know, if you're a farmer and you happen to catch this podcast, we will have, I will advertise these workshops coming up, but there'll be one at Tifton, hopefully one in Commerce and one in Waynesboro. Um, and we'll you know, have a free lunch and hopefully a farm tool with everything as well. But because also the government shut down, like I'm actually technically a government contractor and we can't push, we can't do this stuff without the funds from the USDA Risk Management Agency, which is our, our funder and all this. That's um, tough. And then, and then lastly for me, I gave a, a presentation two weeks ago to the Georgia Association of Conservation Districts and I think it went really well. Um, it's, a, it's a weird crowd. I mainly talked about grants that conservation districts can use for funding their operations there's a whole lot that was a really interesting meeting um, because we talked a lot about water the water war between florida and also what the issue with some of georgia's dams that apparently we have a lot of dams that could be a uh, that could fail in the next 20 years that no one's really addressing a lot about the conservation title in the um, farm bill and then also epd grants which um, but there's another conversation down the road about what what these conservation districts do, and we have a lot of legacy. I mean, I, take you know, how many people really know about their conservation district and been a part of it? If you drive around Georgia, it is split into I think forty conservation districts, and you'll see it every time you go into a new conservation district. Which is you'll see a, a marking at the county line that says you have entered the Hall County Soil and Water Conservation District or That's the right. Lower Chachi, You know, mm-hmm. like they're all over the place. Yeah, and th- these are government bodies that are part of the soil and water uh commission that are doing things they're supposed to be working with the general populace and farmers and and you know all your stakeholders in the community to conserve soil and conserve water but they the boards of each district is generally made up of folks who are who are definitely on the older end of the spectrum and uh you know though because i think partly because those are your farmers right now but there's a big issue with them, like, actually figuring out what their purpose is and um, defining themselves as an, uh, an important part of the community and conversation going forward. And so either they have been for, like, 50 years, but, you know, this may be the end of, the, of, of their usefulness. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, it, I don't know, it's kind of a bad thing, right? I mean, you know, these are people are supposed to be looking after water, and we should actually all be talking about water all the time. You know, nonstop. Like, water is the thing that is, we don't talk about it. I decided in 2019, I'm going to talk about water as if it's an emergency all the time because we will not talk about it until it's too late. That's right. Um, and if you really... All right, time out on the water. Let's stop on that. All right. All right. So, I mean, how's your January been? Well,
1: I'm with you on the water stuff, for the record. Well,
0: well I, th- I mean, I think that we can't, there, I don't want to take another twenty minutes to talk about water right now. But. Right. Well, we can come back and touch on it. But I'm, I'm with you. And you don't,
1: it, for the average person, you don't really think about it or talk about it. It's just assumed that the water is there, it's going to be okay, you know. But you, if you go to the beach at Jekyll during the summertime, my, my like she will always push for us to go to Fernandina, um, because you will be under a bacteria advisory more times than not at Jekyll on, yeah. the nor- on the north end and it's because of the river and it's because of what's coming out in the in the river I've always I at least that's my opinion I'm not 100% sure maybe it's something that's washing up in the ocean I don't see how that could be any different than what's washing up in Fernandina but you will and it's weird man like we've been out there and I'll take the boys and I, I don't really pay attention to the signs, you know? Yeah. And like we were out there saying that in one time and like there was, you never see anybody on Jekyll to begin with, but we were literally the only people in the water and you know, and it was under this bacterial thing. And like, you really start thinking about it. It's, it's pretty crazy. And, uh, people should look at the water,
0: you know? Well, this is what I said to them and, and we can move on here cause, um, we'll never get done. But, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the water, the Florida-Georgia water wars, and that, um, uh, you know, it's that Georgia did not win this last round in front of the Supreme Court, and it got sent back to a special master. So, like, you know, this the, the water conversation going between Georgia and Florida is it's is, is going to keep going on. It's not going to end. And actually, like, we're going to – we're the first major, I think – we're setting a precedent for water – legal water rights east of the Mississippi River for going forward because this is, you know – outside the fact that this is Georgia and Florida and like we're, we're invested in like the outcome and we should take some responsibility for the outcome too, good or bad in Georgia's favor. Um, you know, we, it's all our, our duties to like preserve, to have the best water possible for everybody. Um, you know, people are going to be looking at this case for the next hundred years, potentially, because we just don't know. We, we just don't know what's going to happen water wise and Florida, you know, we, I talked about in that one episode that, uh, you had the red tide. Um, well, the red tide was back and it dispersed there for a couple weeks with the heavy winds right before Christmas. And then it kind of coalesced again out, uh, in the Gulf. And that, you know, like you don't think about the water until to, it's too to late, but if that water is poisoned essentially, then um, that affects tourism in Florida and Florida like needs tourism, right? It needs those people living on the coast too. Um, if they're going to start looking for other people to blame, um as they reach for solutions so they're going to have to look to themselves but i promise you they're also not going to stop looking at florida and everybody else to say hey you know i mean the florida georgia and all these other states that border around the gulf to say hey y'all got to do what you got to do and then if you look at the gulf you know in addition to having like you know a series of red tides off of florida like we also have in the last eight years nine years we had the the gulf um the bp oil spill uh, and if you look into it, there's also an oil spill off the coast of Louisiana. I think that's been like running since 2004 or something. It's, it's technically the largest oil spill in history, but no one talks about it because it's a, a smaller leak. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the Taylor oil spout spill. And um, it, it, uh, it releases 700 barrels per day. And it was triggered by Hurricane Ivan in 2000, like I said, 2004. Um, that's crazy. There, well, there is like if you take a step back and, and you don't take it for granted – like There is a way that you can, you can construe things as if we are, we are destroying the Gulf of Mexico without paying attention to it, right? I mean, we are sending so much a flood of, of nitrogen and phosphorus and oil into that body of water that, you know, when it hits a tipping point, it's going to be too late. Like, that's the problem about water is that once you screw it up, it's too late. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, you can't go back and clean it. Maybe you can, but it's not the same yeah right I mean you can but then what do people do who are supposed to be living there in the meantime
1: yeah and the ecosystems Well, I mean once you screw all that stuff up it's like you can't really you can't go back to the way it was you can't ever go home you know it's like once it's done it's done you can you can wash it and do a facsimile of what was once the way it was but you can't go back you know yeah it's interesting I mean yeah, man, that's a real downer. A <laughs> hey,
0: hey, hey, while we're on the downer, man, how's your
1: January? <laughs> well, it's uh, well, thankfully it's February, February sixth, fifth, whatever. But man, dude, January felt like it lasted a year. I'm not bullshit. It went. It was. I have never had. i I mean, we're the streak of lean boys, and I was literally the. I don't know that I've ever been that lean, just lean, man, all the way around and kept because um, restaurants always die in January. So like I expect that, you know, that's that's pretty much the way that that business goes is you have a huge crush around Christmas and New Year's and then pff, into the toilet because, you know, everybody's uh, everybody's spent, you know, they spent all their money. So I expected that, but normally residential like construction, as far as fences goes, you typically will experience the same thing. You'll start off, you'll die quicker around Christmas. Really it'll start to die around Thanksgiving, which is what it did. But then usually in January, once you get a few weeks in, you'll start to get some people wanting some work done. And which is what I was really counting on. And um, man, I was doing estimate after estimate after estimate off of these leads that I got to pay for, you know, to get advertising. You got to pay for the leads and stuff. And I did a job for a guy in Jacksonville that worked for the I think he either worked for Customs or Border Patrol. <laughs> and it was during the shutdown. And he was he must have been, he was one of those cats that like he had he had money squirreled away and he wasn't incredibly worried about it or anything. Um, but. And he was still having to go to work, so i did a we did a fence for him, and a real nice fence, like a board on board privacy it looked awesome and uh and then I, I kept thinking, you know somebody's going to come through after this guy and, and we'll just keep it rolling. man, I was doing estimate after estimate like i I couldn't get anybody i couldn't nobody wanted to do it and it, it occurred to me that what was happening was that the longer that shutdown lasted, it wasn't that these people were were government employees what it was was a general unease amongst people that they didn't want to spend any money Uh and um and man it was it was lean dude like just lean where like i'm like you know i'll sleep a lot of times if i get like really stressed out my kind of go-to thing is i'll go to sleep you know just like i'm too i'm too i'm too keyed up about this i I'm, i gotta check out i'm going to sleep and so i would be going to bed like really and, and at the same time you're trying to plan out your like farm too for spring and you're trying to use this free time to like get stuff done around the farm and it's which is really tough to do when you're constantly stressed out about not having any money and then not you know it, like all that stuff it just when your mind is not at ease, it, you just, it's hard to be productive in a productive way.
0: Yeah, it's like when you know I don't. You've, I'm sure you've experienced this before too. When you're unemployed and you're looking for a job, exactly it's so hard to, to get focus. Yes, yeah, right, that's right. You can't
1: focus, and you can't like you. It's like when I get in situations like that, I'm the type that like I'll start. I I don't think they're not bad decisions. They're just like haphazard decisions. Like I can't focus on one task you know, I'll do this and then, Oh no, I'm going to go do this. Oh shit. And then everything starts to become huge and everything starts to feel overwhelming. And then it's like, I mean, I'm looking at this expanse of freaking wilderness in Waverly and I'm thinking what, 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 what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Go be a banker or something for crying out loud. You know, and, and, and it really is a blow to your confidence. You know, as much as you like to think that you're, you're, your confidence is not tied to your bank account and my mine's not in the sense that like my bank account doesn't have to be big in order for me to be confident. But when I don't have, when I'm like scraping, like it's hard (laughs) to be confident, you know, or to be optimistic. And then, and then obviously your spouse, uh, it leads to friction in that department, you know, and then, um, So that type of stuff, and so like I'll I'll like check out and go to sleep. So I would be going to sleep like early at night. I would I would did all that I could up at the farm, and it was it was pretty good in hindsight. Every time I've gone through spells like this, I will say this, that it always leads me to be better in some other area. It is like necessity is truly the mother of invention, and like I'll figure something out, and that typically is the way that that works. But I don't know that it's been that lean since the recession. And like but I would be going to sleep and like I'd fall asleep at like nine or nine thirty. And then like as soon as my wife would be like, Hey, let's talk about the finances, I'd be like <laughs> mm. I gotta go to bed. And like, honey, I'm just I can't, you know, I'm just too too depressed. And I'd and I'd go oh and my truck freaking broke down too. Not my awesome old truck, my new truck, my newer truck, but it has two hundred thousand miles on it, but um, so, you know, when it rains, it pours. But anyway, so I go to sleep and then I'll, what. but what happens is, and it's like clock, like my wife will know when I get super stressed out because she's like, I notice that you're getting up at night eating cereal. <laughs> you must be really stressed out. And that's what I do. I'll fall asleep, but then I'll wake up at like one or two and I'm so hungry. I think, man, my anxiety is like just churning inside of me and it's, and it's consuming every calorie I've, I've, I've eaten, you know?
0: Yeah, I probably your brain.
1: Up, yeah, just, just, and I have nightmares, too. And I wake up, like some nightmare or something, and I'm so hungry, and I go get a big bowl of cereal or, like, some Triscuits and peanut butter and just crush it, just, like, sitting there in the bedroom in the dark, you know, clanging away on some bowl of cereal, like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Are you in the bed eating cereal in the dark? Hell, yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, laid down in the bed, but I'm, like, sitting <laughs> at the foot of the bed you know like eating cereal or, or triscuits just rah, 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 you know just like <laughs> trying to fill up so i can go back to bed you know and then but knowing once i'm up there's like a tipping point of being up that if if you're up for more than like five or ten minutes it's really hard to go back to sleep so you almost got to do it quickly so you can get back in the bed and i think there's something about being full that'll kind of put you at ease but i was really so stressed out that like and i would i wouldn't be able to go back to sleep so i didn't doubt eating cereal or Triscuits and then um, I mean even one night I ate like a leftover hamburger patty just sitting there at the foot of the bed just like just eating this freaking hamburger patty I think I crunched up some chips on it and like doused it in ketchup or hot sauce or something. And um then you just I got would, a, you just got a fork out and just yeah just, and uh, it was oh. just in this Tupperware container and I was just, huh. just, cold man, this is uh I heated it up it wasn't piping hot but you know <laughs> I'm like Hillary Clinton I keep a bottle of hot sauce in my purse too and um <laughs> I legitimately do that I don't carry a purse but I keep hot sauce in the fridge cuz I you know I smoked for a long time so like I put hot sauce on a lot of different stuff. The best is tombstone pizza with hot sauce and ranch. Just slathered in both. I'll crush that. But I don't eat that very often anymore. You know, I'm getting older, but when I was a kid that was a real go to. But um so what would happen is I would eat and then I would just lay there I put a dip in and just lay there and just like staring at the ceiling just like, you know, in every problem that you foresee or that you have Or whatever is being magnified, your brain just won't shut off, and it was it was pretty dang stressful, man. But this past week, I kept thinking I knew when they ended that shutdown. I was like, "All right, this is good. I'll I'll start getting some calls." And sure enough, I did. And so we got a um, a nice a nice commercial fence job for a factory in Brunswick coming up next week, which will be sweet. And then I got some residential stuff happening. The restaurants will start picking up again. And, um, it was nice. So I had, I had hogs, uh, Pharaoh and Pharaoh successfully, which was great. And I did get a lot of work done. I think we're going to burn the property, uh, hopefully this weekend, maybe Sunday or maybe next weekend. If it continues to stay warm and dry and dry it out, get everything burned and, uh, bush hogged and keep cleaning it up. So I'm feeling pretty optimistic today, but up till this week, this is the first real week I've had since, I, I mean, really, honestly, man, I mean, cause I slowed down around Thanksgiving, but it slowed down earlier than normal this year. And then I'd say since Christmas, just in the, just probably like most people, like I spent on Christmas, I have three kids and, and then I couldn't recover in January because yeah, right. you know, I, I just, there was no work coming out and like in this year I've made a pact to like squirrel money back, like somehow, some way to put money back, um, I'm getting too old for that. I love living on the edge, boy, but that was that was a little too close to living on the edge for me, you know. And then and then of course my truck broke down. But you're so vulnerable when that happens, you know.
0: Oh man, yeah. Um well, you know, I don't forget, Brandon, also not to like get you off the downer or get take you off your high is that uh the deadline is next Friday. Oh no. uh, February 15th.
1: But see, between the between the stuff I already have lined up, see what'll happen is but I'll tell you what will screw everything up. What can't happen is that if people don't get taxes back on time, that's what will screw up. My, my construction part of what I do is dependent on that. Everybody, mm. everybody does big projects. Tax time equals they're going to do something to improve their house, and a lot of them are going to do a fence or a deck you know, or whatever. And if that happens, that's going to screw up me and a whole lot of people. Cause that's like Christmas. Like you get it when it's, and it's like that, you know, it's psychology, the sun starts shining, the weather starts warming up, you're getting taxes back and, and you want to improve your yard or whatever. And so if it happens again, but at least, I mean, I gotta say, man, I just keep faith, you know? And like, I, I at least have got some stuff, you know, going now. So if it happens again in mid February, then Whatever, I mean, I don't know. My truck's fixed, you know,
0: so I Do, just have uh, to hang
1: with it, you know. Man, I got this old beater pickup truck, right? And um, I hate to say it, but it's such an old truck that, that the tag lapsed back in 2015, and it's so much, it's so expensive to get the tag just a farm truck that I never, I never actually renewed it. So it's like expired by a few years, um, which, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of like a reverse point of pride. Right. I, I, you know, but you know, what I think prevents me from getting the ticket a lot of times is that I have a bumper sticker from classic Georgia on the back that says I break for bold peanuts. And I think that it's like, it's almost like you see that sticker on that truck and you're just like, man, whatever, just let him go. Right. It's, at classic Georgia, www.classicgeorgia.com. Do
0: y'all, have, do y'all have robins down there? Tons of robins on the sides of the road. Are they showing up this week? Have they showed up? Or like, oh, yeah, been out. Done, yeah, cr- done been. They've out. been out for a long time. Yeah, they've really like, started to pop up across Georgia this week.
1: You really start to like worry about hitting them. You drive through a yeah, I don't know what you Dude. call a group of robins, but man, they're suicidal little birds too.
0: It's not a murder, I know that. Oh. I don't. I
1: don't like to hit. I'm the type that, like, if I'm setting posts on a fence and I dig up a worm, like, I will yeah, move right. them out of the way. Like, I hate that. I don't try. Yeah, to... I do. You don't man.
0: kill nothing. You don't need to kill nothing. That's stupid.
1: Yeah. I hate killing stuff, man. I kill enough for work, you know. I, I don't. Yeah, if I don't need to, I I try to move them out of the way. And uh, but like a robin, I almost I had a buzzard one time. There's an unspoken agreement between us and buzzards, that you see them down here all the time in the roads, you know, and and they'll hang out in the roads. But there's an unspoken agreement that as I get closer, that I don't have to honk my horn. No, they know they supposed to. They're going to start hopping out of the way. And I had one that man, I was coming over the uh, like from Brunswick to Waverly and. He was. They were in the road, a group of them, and I'm going. I normally, I won't honk or anything. I just figure they're going to honor our pact. And this joker went to fly and just turned around and flew right into my, into my grill. Just jumped up. And I just oh, no. annihilated him, dude. But it sounded like I hit. They're big, right? They're he, big, yeah. Dude, he busted my grill. Stunk. Stunk. You talk about something that stinks.
0: A buzzard. Buzzard well, I, smell. Sorry. So I uh, – no, I I, killed, I I had never hit a bird before until last year. I hit two mockingbirds and killed them, um, which I just, like, both times was like, what the hell? Like, why uh-huh. did that bird fly there? But my my granddaddy hit a uh, – he hit a buzzard, and it got – hit hit the windshield and got caught in the windshield wiper. And he he's a kind of – he was the kind of guy that, like, just – he was just 110 miles an hour all the time, didn't give a shit, never stopped, you know, whatever. So he tried to continue to drive. And pull it out off of the windshield wiper and get it off. <laughs> and it was it, just, it was, it was, you know, buzzards like their natural defense mechanism to throw up on you. So right. Because he so said he was just like <laughs> bleh, bleh. <laughs> throwing up on his arm as he was trying to get it all off the windshield as he's barreling down the road. <laughs> yeah, as he's barreling down the road. Yeah. Uh, um. Had to. Have, did he have,
1: have like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth? And that, got...
0: Yeah. You know, my dad always said. He said, you know, uh, Granddaddy, he never got addicted. Our daddy never got addicted to cigarettes. He would smoke all his life, but he could quit whenever he, whenever he wanted uh yeah maybe uh, well, he right. didn't quit but he also he he's bad about turning everything over you know he just he would take his pontiac down in the bottoms to go check on cows mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well I, I saw what i did with cigarettes you know i
1: i one night after i smoked for a long time man, like 20 21 years and i was watching tv one night and i just was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna get on dip i'm done with cigarettes because I had started to feel like, they, this was this was some years ago, and I um, started to feel like they were winding me a little bit. I always felt hmm. invincible. I was the type that I would run the Peachtree Road Race or I'd run like a half marathon carrying my cigarettes and a lighter wrapped up in a grocery bag so they wouldn't get wet with the sprinklers and stuff. Jeez. And, and I'd get done because then your lungs are so worked out that you smoke that first cigarette and it's like the first cigarette you ever smoked it's like yeah dynamite cigarette can't stand up man no it's just so good it's so fresh it almost hurts you know like that good pain that only smokers know what i'm talking about
0: yeah i don't know that i i I smoke cigarette and i'm like oh my god i can't stand up right now i'm dizzy like oh i still
1: man if i see somebody smoking i'm like
0: yeah you really
1: got it made don't you (laughs) we really got it made right now. Don't you just puffing away your, your hands are smelling good. Your shirt. I love the way it smelled. God. Yeah. But anyways, I quit. I got on dip and then I quit dip for a while, but then I got back on dip, but I do feel like at some point I'll, I'll just quit that. But everybody's got something, you know, I try not to beat all that stuff, eating healthy, bad habits and stuff. I'm, I'm really the type that I try not to beat myself up. You know, I just do what I can do. And, and at some point, hopefully I'll be able to let it go, you know.
0: Yeah, that's funny um, about the invincibility thing. I think every or, or most men that I know, you know, they go through the streak of invincibility or they believe in their own invincibility until a certain age, right? I mean, like there, I was, was pretty sure between 17 and 26 that I was going to live forever. Like I mm-hmm. was, you know, I had figured me and Methuselah and Lamech or no, no, me and uh, Elijah and Lamech.
1: We're all going mm-hmm. to walk
0: with God and not even worry through this whole death thing. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. And, uh, and I, I, and I got, yeah, yeah. But I got hit by an 18 wheeler in Memphis <laughs> oh. and I, I walked out unscathed and I realized like, you know, like that, like that was your, that was your ninth life. Right. I mean, like you can't, you need to like be prepared going forward. I, I got hit twice by the same 18 wheeler. Damn. Um, and, uh, and somehow i walked out of the car and so i was like all right i'm not invincible i mean maybe maybe i should have taken the other you know the other lesson which is well maybe i'm invincible i, I didn't get hurt but like it was the scariest mhm second and a half of my entire life
1: oh yeah i think about death a lot i think about death a lot more than i probably should but i'm with you on that you go through that invincibility february you see my dad passed away on february 17th Yeah. So that's always a but then my middle child was born on February 18th. So it's always a weird time of year for me anyways, because it brings back a lot of memories of, you know, watching somebody sick, you know, suffering and stuff like that. And um, but, you know, it's like but then I get the birth of my middle kid. It's funny how like, you know, you can take a day back like that. It's like, yeah, you know, it's written that this day was going to suck. Forever, and then it was. Then it was erased and written again. That this day is going to be a beautiful day. You know what I mean? And it's it's like. But I think about all that a lot.
0: Yeah, that's not, really, not that's a, invincible. I don't feel invincible anymore. I think it's okay to think about death. We like we kind of like move death off. in old people, you know, in our society, where we don't really like think like that's not part of our, our daily conversation. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so we're not prepared for it. I'm just gonna. um and like with the dip, I mean, I got
1: to say, I, you know, people say, oh, well, you're going to and you probably will get some sort of cancer. But, you know, I really it's like there's something to be said for I enjoy it. You know, and no, I don't want to trade like years, but same time, I, I do really enjoy it. I mean, and everybody has bad things that they do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I everything I want to say is like, man, this is too dark. Let's not talk about like, that. let's not talk about that accident or that accident or that accident or um, that surgery for oral cancer. <laughs> so we'll, oh, so I yeah. hold off on all that. Um, well,
1: I'll quit. I, I I keep telling myself as soon as it settles down a little bit, I'll uh, I'll quit. I know that I can. I quit booze and I quit cigarettes.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, you know, I, I had a, a a good friend who. Uh, in Arkansas. And, you know, he'd always, it was a little bit of a, I don't know. Actually I actually don't know how to describe it, but, you know, you he, he said he never wanted to leave a beautiful corpse. What was the point of that? And I think there is some value to that. Like, you know, you're only here once, have some fun. Like, do some yeah, things that like, are yourself. pleasurable. Yeah, right.
1: I think it ties into, like, my old man. See, my old man never smoked, never drank, really. You know, he was pretty, pretty active. And, uh, you know, so it's like shit happens. Sometimes,
0: right. Like, well, like, yeah. you, you
1: can try to prevent stuff all you want, but sometimes it's like when you're when your ticket's punched, it's punched.
0: Well, you know, I, I went and saw my dad when I went, went up to um, give that presentation, the conservation district thing, and there was a walker in the kitchen, and I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, like uh, like my dad is still really uh, like uh, very physical. Person who spends almost all his time outdoors, uh-huh. but he's gonna have to have both knees replaced, and um, he's got he got type two diabetes. He's had it for man a decade now, almost. He's probably had it longer than that. Which, but we it was only diagnosed for the last six to eight years, and it really explains also like why he was so impossible to be around for so, for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, like why he would just go off on us and like, uh, you know, scream and call us names. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not that big a deal. And you realize, oh man, he has no, his blood sugar is either 40 or it's 240. Um, I mean, it actually it's really low. I say 40, but it's been, it, it's at 80 quite a bit. And he's having a hard time maintaining it. But, you know, he called me up. It's like, look, man, and, well, he called me up, but I know he's had some trouble like peeing at night. And um, essentially what's going on is that his, he's got, like, internal organ, slow internal organ failure because of his diabetes. He's, he was born in 47, so he'll be 71 this year. Um, and he just, um, I mean, that's a hard thing to see, but also he never smoked. He's never been any tobacco products his entire life. He has spent all of his time, you know, outside, being active and physical. He rarely drinks. I mean, he may be the first time I, like, he ever started like, drinking beer. He was probably in his 40s. Like, I can remember being a kid. He might have one Bartles and James on a Saturday night, but like never had any vices, never did anything, you know, outside of just maybe eat a lot of fried food that you would call uh, like, you know, harmful to his health. And like, you know, he's got type two diabetes and he's got all these issues and like he did everything right, I I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's
1: wild, man. I mean, you just I try to be I try to be balanced. I mean, yeah, I dip. But I also, every night, I, I believe in, like, eating something that was alive, like, every day. Not like hmm. eat, not like eating a live bird or something, but, like, eating a vegetable that I've just picked, you know. Like. Yeah, yeah. Something that was put so I I, living yeah, recently. Hmm. Yeah, so what I do is I just grow greens. And every night, I just take, like, kefir, and I, I put it in the blender. And I put, like, so I just cut whatever greens I have cut some of them put it in there with some honey and kefir and then uh lately i tell you what's good is i've I've been pouring a Lacroix in there really yeah and blending that all together and it's good and i drink it and i feel like you know i believe in like that type of stuff of like yeah tobacco's not great but you know what's also not great is having a, a shitty gut you know gut bacteria
0: and yeah right
1: and so i try to like You know, do that type of thing, because back in the day, I feel like back in the day, like my grandmother, for example, smoked for forever and quit, you know, but she quit when she was in her 50s. Right. And she lived to be 91. And there's a ton of people in that generation that did the same thing. And I feel like that generation, though, was exposed as children because most of them came off of the farm. They were exposed to a lot of probiotics that we never were because all our foods came from the grocery store
0: yeah i think probiotics i think also just more germs too in general i mean like yeah, I think germs
1: like all that so i guess what i'm saying is like yeah the, the tobacco is not great but and i look at my dad and like and i will think yeah, hey he lived a pretty you know like moderate you know kind of life but i mean that was if there was one thing that was lacking was like a snacking on junk food yeah and then b really trying to eat like foods like yogurt and like fresh I'm not talking like vegetables from the grocery store I'm saying a vegetable that was alive one minute ago
0: yeah that's interesting I mean you have the availability of sugar which is absolutely not healthy for people and then yeah. right and then you have a lot of processed foods and I and I think also you know when we don't understand it because it's a kind of a long-term epidemiology um but, like, you know, we have a kind of onslaught of chemicals in the last 50, 60 years. They're just part of I mean, part of our houses. They're part of, like, our everyday lives. they part of the clothing manufacturing plastics that That's right. I think that other generation wasn't exposed to. And, like I said, my grandfather, he died when he was 80. He didn't die from um, any kind of uh, tobacco-related illness. He, he turned a tractor over on himself. Actually, he may have gotten snuff in his eyes when he, when he turned the tractor over. He was bush hogging.
1: Oh, what a uh, cruel irony.
0: Yeah, that's a man. You were talking about a sad story. Oh my god, man! Can we? We got to get off this organic stuff. Um,
1: well, I got a story real quick about if you if you don't want to tell his snuff in the
0: eye story, we yeah, you want to tell it? Yeah, I just want to 2nd I'm just gonna say this. Yeah, that tell it. My dad. My dad has found. I know at least three dead people. He's found, which I think like wow, uh, I just can't imagine all this. Um, but he, he, this. My granddaddy was. He was. Uh, so, the problem, when you, when you get up to Hall County, like, like the, you know, the hills just go up and down. There's no, like, there's no real flat plain area, right? It's just, it's hilly. And then, especially when cotton came in after, in the late 19th century, people cut tiers into the, um, into the, the hills. So, like, our farm looks like that, too, where, you know, if you're not paying attention, you'll go off a ledge. Like, um, and you can't see it sometimes when the grass is high. Like terraces, but taller? Yeah, it's terraces. Like, it's, just, it's terraces that people cut. In order to have a flat plain or flat le- a level spot to grow some kind of a field crop in this case it was it was cotton yeah. so they would just tear us down the hill yeah um, and uh, so he was it was probably he was up uh, he was uh, sorry he was he was working with this woman and he was uh, bush hogging her property and uh, he didn't come home and then she, I guess she called my dad and said I hadn't seen him and I don't know where he is and then my dad went up there and He he got up and a tractor was down the hill, like still running. It had like like wedged up against a tree. I think the back tire was still running, like moving, like digging in the dirt. And um, I I think that's what happened. Or maybe he had turned over down there. I can't remember now. Like that doesn't sound right. But anyway, he found my grandfather on the ground in the grass, and he was dead. He'd been crushed by the tractor somehow. And uh. It, it didn't quite make sense other than just maybe he just, like, you know, got distracted right there and, and then, like, had gotten stuff turned over, pitched, like, on a terrace. But my dad said he remembered he turned him over, and the first thing he did was he brushed the ants off of his face. And then he picked him up, and he just remembers, like, how broad his shoulders were when he was holding them to, to take him out of the field.
1: Damn. That's, like, man, I mean, I Died in the field.
0: Well, that's how he would go out. That's how my dad wants to go out. You know, I mean,
1: sure. If I if like, somebody told me right now you can live to be eighty and you'll die by that tractor that you're riding right now crushing you when you're eighty, I'd say hell
0: yeah, sign me up. Yeah, if, especially if it kill you instantly, I'll take it.
1: I'd I'd be willing to suffer.
0: To all right, all right. eighty. Well, know, I'd like, to, like, I'd like to know more about that. How, how much suffering? What are we talking about? What part of my body's crushed? <laughs> but, yeah, uh, well, yeah, true, true. But, I mean, once
1: you get to be 80 yeah. and 85, it's like my grandmother, you know. It's like you hit a certain age, about 87, 88, 89, and, and your life turns into one series of suffering after another. Yeah. You know, you can't walk without falling, you know, all that type yeah. of stuff. That's a terrible story, but it's kind of, it's not cool, but it's kind of, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's I sad, th- but I think it's kind of cool.
0: I think it's kind of cool. I just, I mean, I think it's sad, but I also think, I think there was a real, you know, my dad has never been the most open and emotional person, but I, I can only imagine, and in, in, a, in a, kind of a positive way, the some of the moments he may have had with his father there. You know, I don't think his, his and his father's relationship was also warm or, are uh, open and honest and emotional. I mean, uh, I think who, it was honest. I think it was, yeah. you know, it was, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, who, you know, was, like,
1: was back then?
0: Right. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, right. That's right. And, um, so I think there was this moment. It just, uh, I just, I don't know. It's easy for me to place myself or somehow, not easy. It's just, I can place myself and my dad, like walking there and finding his father there and it kind of being overcome with emotion but maybe also something there was special in the privacy of, of being able to do that in that field.
1: That's right. It's kind of cool, you know.
0: Yeah. What's your story?
1: Oh, nothing. Nothing that good. I mean, but on that note, you know, we did. See, our fathers grew up. It's like I, when I was a kid, I was I was always bothered that my dad never would tell us that he loved me. Like he never yeah. said he never said that. You know. But it took me becoming a man to realize that, like, you know, they grew up the children of people that were relatively hard, so to speak. Yeah. And they weren't very emotional, you know. It's like, yeah, he never told me he loved me, but I'm sure he was way more emotional with me than than his dad was with him. Absolutely. And then with his dad's dad before him, you know, and and on down the line. And I probably— My kids probably, I think, look at me more like an older brother because I'm like super, you know, I'm always telling them, hey, I love you. Hey, hey, I love ya. <laughs> you. Know, hey, Casey, have a good day at school, buddy. Love you. You know, I'm like yelling, yelling at him as he's walking into the school. And, uh, you know, but and and so I, I think there's that, you know, I don't know the specifics, but I had, I had a kind of a strange relationship with my dad for from the time I was about 15 until pretty shortly before he passed you know and i really regret it most of it was my own doing but there was a uh, you know it's tough when you're uh a dad trying to raise a boy it's hard you know and nobody gives you a book and like i've realized that having kids that like i looked at my parents like they were perfect you know like they, right. they should have all the answers and i've realized having my own kids that like Hell, your dad may be stuffing his face with Triscuits at two in the morning <laughs> and eating cereal on the foot of the bed because he's scared shitless of what's going to happen this week. You know, he just looked like he had it together to you. Yeah. As a kid. Cause yeah, because
0: yeah, he's cause bigger. You and think, yeah,
1: and he's you bigger think than he'll, life. he'll figure it he's, out. Right, right. He's, he's a superhero. You know, you don't realize that he's just, like, like, just some guy trying to figure it
0: out. Yeah, he's not John Wayne, man, but it— you know, you think he is. He's, he, you know, he's, he does have that like that supernatural like a thing as a child. I mean, especially like I'm sure your dad. It sounds like you describe him. I mean, my dad, was, when I was little, he was six foot six two uh, thirty. You know, oh, yeah. huge. You know, a huge, like a big person who huge. could do things. Yeah, do things that you are just like, whoa, I. Oh know, yeah, I'm, and and he always
1: yeah. My dad would like, you know, any of our friends' dads. Like if their dads had like office jobs and they were coming home in suits and I'd always think, man, my dad is like, my dad can kick the shit out of your dad. (laughs) Like any day of the week. My dad, my dad wrestled and pinned one of my friends when we were seniors in high school, my friend kept screwing with him. And like, he always kind of, they would go back and forth, you know, in in our living room. And my buddy was, you know, kept kind of jawing on my dad a little bit. My dad would come out and play basketball and stuff with us. And he, um, he kept saying, you keep screwing with me. I'm going to pin you right here in this living room. And he kept on and man. He jumped up, dude, and he, and he grabbed him, and he put him in some wrestling move and put him on the ground. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> that, that was awesome. <laughs>
0: it's just this,
1: like show of force. Oh, I'll tell you a good story. Jeremy Thomas that played for UGA and uh, I think played in the league for a little while, he was a fullback at Loganville. Um, and so my dad coached him in high school and there was a Jeremy told a story at, uh, at his funeral that they had bet on something like a dollar or whatever. And I don't know, something happened. I don't, I don't recall what exactly happened. But my dad, Jeremy wouldn't pay, I think, kept saying he didn't lose the bet or something. And so my dad came up behind him and grabbed him. And put him on the ground, and took a dollar out of his pocket, and like stuffed it into his mouth. <laughs> it was like, you don't don't write checks at your trash can not cash, you know, or something like this. And Jerry was a big ass guy, man. And I'm like, dude, the older I get, the more I realize he was a, he was a stud, man. Probably not a lot like your old man, just a, a big old dude, man.
0: Yeah, there, there's a uh, you know, I, I think there's a generation that the had a, there was kind of a fearlessness about them that uh like I, I feel like you know much more lost in the cosmos and and uh uncertain of like where i'm going and even like what i'm doing this moment and then I, those folks seem to be like screw it you know like i'll fight you i'll put you down this is what i'm doing like, this we're going round and
1: around. oh i remember one time as a teenager a young teenager there was these older guys at stone mountain that they kind of looked after us, but they would pick on us too, like stuff us in lockers and stuff like that. This will, this will tie into the dip in the eye story nicely. Uh, this is a this this one individual. They would come by my house. They had these long, like living room windows. We lived in a real like a normal middle American like kind of ranch house, and um, they they stopped their car and they dang would flash their lights in the window like late at night you know, like on the weekends, these older kids. Yeah. And this was like a Friday. and um, They were doing it and it like scared me and my buddies who were spending the night. So I went and told my dad and my dad grabbed a baseball bat, right? And went outside. And all you could see looking out the window was this car going in reverse down the street. And my dad walking in the middle of the street towards the car, like hitting the baseball bat, like in his other hand. (laughs) It was like, Like, damn.
0: Like walking tall, man. Yeah,
1: like fearless though. It was like, damn, man. But so the same guy that did that, one night we were, we used to go out just, we would walk around as teenagers. We would go like, if you know, we're 14, 13, whatever. We'd go walk around, tell our parents we were camping out. We'd go walk to the gas station or walk up to Winn-Dixie or go go some party you know trying to get people to buy us beer get us get people to buy us cigarettes whatever and this guy the same guy that did the lights he, he saw us walk and he picked us up so we get in his car and um he's driving down this curvy road and he keeps turning his lights off right? yeah. To- yeah totally off and i and it, i it was scaring the shit out of me like let me out man and so he turns his lights off and then all of a sudden he goes Shit, dude! Shit! Take the wheel, man! I got Kopy in my eye! I can't see! Like, holy crap, man! He's got Kopy in his eye. Like, dude, this is like too much. We gotta get out of here. I still tell the story of the Kopi in his eye. Take the wheel, take the wheel! So we're gonna get we're both going to the Georgia Organics conference this weekend.
0: We are, we are, we are, we're Both both speaking. Um, and uh, Brandon, what are you speaking about? And
1: Man, I you know, when you mentioned that earlier and you were like, yeah, we'll just talk about what we're – I don't know what I'm speaking about. Um, I don't normally like uh, – for stuff like this, I'll, I'll pretty well go off the cuff. Uh, I'm on a panel, I think, with uh, maybe Jenny Harris, who's Will Harris's White Oak Pastures. That's the daughter, and I think she has a large hand in running that now. Maybe not.
0: I don't know. No, that's true. That's true
1: anyway she's on this panel and me and some other guy and i guess we're going to be talking about being um, livestock you know like pasture-based or whatever livestock producers right? i guess will be the gist of it and so, i mean it's exciting it's, a, it's an honor to be asked to talk you know,
0: so you're not you're not doing you don't have a powerpoint
1: no I, i've never i don't know how to do a powerpoint And um, I'll pretty well go off the cuff. Like I always vacillate between my main concern is I don't want to get people too enthusiastic without them realizing the pitfalls of all this stuff. And then also I've always felt like I'm not going to get up here and like honestly give away tried and true secrets that I've bled for for free.
0: Yeah, you, you don't want to, you, you're you essentially, you're talking to potential competitors, which is, you know, you, you want to help people and create a kind of community and ecosystem, but also, like, you have put in the blood and sweat and tears, and so, like, you're not going to give up a competitive advantage.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm not really, I used to be real threatened by it, you know, and I, I'd be like, no, I mean, but the reality is all this stuff is, there's so much distance in between wanting to do this and then actually doing it and then actually sustaining that. And so I'm not really like threatened the way that I once was, but I do feel like, like, why would I, if this costs me so much money to figure out that this was a better way to do this or this, you know, you know, whatever, like I'm not going to, some things I feel like you should learn for yourself because that's what separates for lack of a better term, the men from the boys. That's that's what separates the wheat from the chaff. chaff,
0: chaff, Yeah,
1: chaff, you know, it's like, if you're going to do this, I feel like I, I, I think one time I did get up and I was like, if you're going to do this kind of work, there's going to be so many opportunities that are squandered and so many heartbreaking moments and so much bullcrap that's going to happen to you. Then like, if you're going to have the wherewithal to continue on and do that, then you need to figure out if you're capable of like figuring this out for yourself. Therefore, I'm not going to give you any of my secrets. And that was it. That was like the gist of my talk. (laughs) Sorry. sorry, But (laughs) uh, what I'm saying is that I'm not going to tell you anything. (laughs) Uh,
0: Sorry, buddy. You got to figure it out. Some Uh, things
1: I'll tell you, you know, but like,
0: don't you, th- you know, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I understand. I totally understand. I mean, and I, I you know, the thing about it is that like, I promise you it's helpful information that you're offering. I mean, you're not going to give all your, your, all the trade secrets away that you, you know, you fought for. But also it's true. I mean, like, there's a, like, this is what I can tell you. This is what like basic prices are. This is some of the stuff like I probably for you for it comes to raising a hog or how to, how to like sell it. You might want to, you will tell people, but there are some things that like, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to tell someone how to sell hogs in Savannah you know you're not going to like right do that right um, or
1: or if you if you're if you've got to be spoon f- if if you're not capable right. of going out and figuring this out by yourself chances are you're not going to last
0: right and there's a huge amount of self-reliance and perseverance when overcoming just incessant obstacles like you have to just be able to like be inherently competent somehow to just to, to tackle it because there's never going to be a day when there's not some kind of little fire something yeah, you're going to um, have to
1: keep a, a ready supply of Triscuits yeah. and, and Crispix. And, uh, you know, but it, I, I will say, Coop, it is exciting to, um you know, I, I do want to go back. It's It's been like something we've done year in and, and me and you. And, and like it takes me back to those first days of going and being so excited, you know, to be there and like to be thinking about doing, you know, farming. And like it was an exciting time period. So I got to remember, too, that like right that's a be- enthusiasm is a beautiful thing you know and uh it'll be fun man we're gonna do like me and you are gonna broadcast a little bit from there yeah right which will be awesome and then what and what are you're doing a couple things what are you doing
0: yeah we'll, we'll test our our technological uh, capacity but we will hope to set up shop and get some interviews from other farmers who are there i i'm speaking tomorrow on the farm bill i've, I've kind of got re- uh wrapped up into a presentation last minute to talk about policy figures like it's important since the farm bill just got passed of course in december and uh, i'm covering the rural development title which is i'm not really familiar with but i i feel like I will do a good job um i you know I, I, it's not really worth talking about the rural development stuff i mean i think you know we can do a farm bill episode at some other point in time um, but then That's a three-hour session, and I'm speaking with uh, Marty Mesh, who used to be executive director of the Florida Organic Growers Association, and then that has also a for-profit component called Quality Certification Services, and they do, I think, some food safety stuff, but they definitely, like, they are your certifier for certified organic. Um, That's cool. One of them. Three Three hours. Man, I hope it's not going to be three hours. But yeah, tomorrow afternoon um, we'll post up, and then we'll do we'll cover the farm bill, and hopefully we'll get somebody from NRCS to talk about conservation. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some good stuff in the farm bill. I'm just you know, just briefly, uh, there is some set aside priority funding for opioid um, crisis, so that you know some traditional programs that USDA runs, like if they will prioritize. Uh, projects that address uh, opioids. Um, and also, they're going to put a lot of money into e-connectivity and to rural broadband. So um, I think that's definitely going to happen. Wow. And if you're in Georgia, it's actually pretty exciting because with the House switching over to the Democrats, Samford Bishop, who represents the southwestern part of the state, like Columbus, um, a little bit of Macon, and then everything kind of west of Valdosta, so like the true southwest part, he's now the ranking member on... The House Ag Appropriations Committee. So, all the money that the House puts towards Farm Bill stuff will go go through him. Um, so that's cool. A, that's a it's a huge, super cool thing for Georgia. Um, and then on Saturday, I am giving oh my gosh this presentation that's impossible, but I'm really excited about. But I'm also already disappointed in. But I'm gonna t- it's a it's called the Geography of Georgia Agriculture. Um, wow. In which we'll look at. Georgia over a couple centuries to figure out how we got to where we are growing what we are today and where oh, we. oh man really yeah yeah uh, that's where... good well uh, man I need I need a script I just it's just impossible it's like how do you talk in 45 minutes about 300 years right um, oh
1: but we should totally do it can you you could you do do that and then we'll just forward it into like an episode yeah do an episode on that, yeah, or like a series maybe a series I, I think that's worthy of like four or five
0: episodes we can do that we can touch on i have there's some great maps i found of early georgia and i think it's really i mean uh I'm, i won't go into the whole presentation but i think it's really interesting to see like how Georgia was conceptualized early on and what, what people could see in terms of when they made a map, you can see what's important to folks, like what they're looking for and also what they don't know. So a map from 1734, you know, it's, it's looking at rivers. It's, you know, there are no roads. It's it's thinking about Indian tribes. It's thinking about like what's actually inhabitable. It actually goes right back to what the, the conversation you had about trying to clear that Camden and that Waverly property of like mm-hmm. you you which you're also looking at the same lens of like okay how do we tackle this wilderness that's georgia um and then also i think just the the interesting thing for me now as i talk to folks is that you know if you look at up till 1870 the productive production in georgia was coming through the fall line from columbus you know to, to augusta and then in 150 years the, the agricultural production comes all south of that like it, it moves to Southwest Georgia and Southeast Georgia. And then now that line, if you look at a, at a satellite map of Georgia, that's green. That's all forest where it used to be like all the, the, the large plantations, for lack of better words.
1: And it's all, it's all timber now.
0: It's all timber, yeah. And, and plantations yeah. is a funny word for Georgia, but um, Georgia's not quite what you think it is when it comes to like, imagining the antebellum plantations. Uh, it's not free of that it's not it's just not but it's not mississippi it's not mississippi it's not going with the wind it's not um and uh so yeah so so we'll be doing that and then um hopefully we'll post up and you know just have some some good memories man i mean this is uh uh we're elder statesmen yeah i never thought i would be speaking at the georgia Organics conference I, you know it's it's kind of anticlimactic now although i like feel with this conversation i'm getting i'm getting some the goosebumps but, you know, oh, I, yeah,
1: you've never spoke there before,
0: no I, sp- I speak just about every year, there. yeah, Oh <laughs> uh, now, um, yeah, you're like
1: an elder statesman, though you can tell those little whippersnappers, snappers, you
0: know, ah man they don't i I don't know they're they're looking for the farmers, um I gotten, but you know, like you were talking about the um the first Georgia Organics conference you ever went to, do you remember which one that was,
1: huh first one that's tough I think I think it was in Atlanta was that do you remember the first one that I went to the one because wasn't there one was there there's been a few in Atlanta right yeah yeah it was, I think three yeah it was definitely I think in Atlanta I've, I've gone and then some years I haven't gone like I spoke at the one at Jekyll
0: yeah I remember that I got you I got that. I got that sly picture of you and Will talking.
1: That's right, and uh, and then I spoke at the one, another one in Atlanta. I think that's when I made them on my ID badge. I was joking around. I said, "They said, what name do you want on your ID badge?'" I told them I wanted them to put Stack Boy. <laughs> call me, call me Stack Boy. And uh, man, by God, they put that on that ID. I still, I still have it stack boy it says grassroots farm stack boy because my wife used to work at athens regional hospital and there was this chick she worked with and her boyfriend on his facebook his name was antoine but his name was stack boy and i always got to, i always thought and that is cool man i want to be like that guy and,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh what uh uh how did you find out like about georgia organics
1: I thought, I think I found out.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, see, when I first started
1: like kicking the pasture poultry stuff around, that was like when you kind of got tied in with Georgia Organics. Prior to that, I think I had seen stickers and stuff.
0: Yeah, in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, but then really trying to hammer on when um, Jonathan Tesher was a farmer outreach guy and trying to hammer on them of how do you get these, where do you where's the processing like how can we get these and remember back then nobody had an answer of like where you can get birds processed and stuff and so i think that was kind of what fueled it and then i saw what it was and then i thought it was awesome you know to be like an advocate for that type of thing and then there was this movie called grow
0: Right. That, had, yeah, by, by by Anthony Masterson, who are dear friends. Yeah. Uh, and Owen who, and Christine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, it was a cool movie and it showed these young new farmers and they were all so freaking cool. Right. And, I mean, and I say that with the utmost sincerity. They were like so cool. And, oh, yeah. And it just made me like I just wanted to be a part of all of it. Like, you know, like even, maybe even like minor, like, celebrity like type crush like oh my god that's that's such and such from a movie
0: you know well they I, I had the exact same like fanboy crush on folks and I'd look over the side and I'd see those farmers talking I'd be like oh my gosh will one day I'd be in that conversation I mean i just <laughs> this nobody could I could yeah. I one day
1: yeah I mean, uh, totally man yeah yeah I mean they just were young and they were not you know it's like they were young and they weren't what I pictured farmers to be like and they were all pretty good looking and it just, and they made what they were doing look so cool, Yeah, you know, and some of them are still doing it and some of them aren't, you know, and, um, but that, that was, and you, you, know, and then I guess with George organics, I probably got more tied into it like mentally cause you were working there and like, that's how we became buddies and, um, yeah. I had a lot of respect for you, you know, it, it, you know, back then and still. And so I just kind of became like a part of it, you know, like George Organics. I'm probably not as involved as I should be, but a lot of times I feel like I don't know how to be more involved. It's still, it's funny, we've, we've come a long ways, but at the same time, there's still a lot of gray areas, you know, and it's it's tough.
0: Yeah, and, it, it you know, and I, this is... Uh, this is a, a purely positive part of this. so I'm not going to go into like how the, the difficulties, but yeah, there is, it's, you know, you're talking about like these young farmers that come like, and you, you see ourselves, you know, into this, to the people who will come this weekend, there may be some young farmers who are super excited about starting a farm. And there's a little bit of a jadedness. I think you and I have like, oh, you, you, you silly, uh, you're, you and your, your silly enthusiasm you're me 10 years ago damn you (laughs) damn you do something else (laughs) but it's so i mean but you know so like don't make some mistakes that we made but also maybe the way you really like change food systems is you just also throw bodies into the meat grinder it's it's infantrymen over and over and over again you know you just you have to continue to push forward and yeah people fall off that's also not necessarily failure it's okay for farmers not to farm after five or ten years if that's not right for them and also this is like It's a generational change. The first, you know, or the early adopters of organics in Georgia, many of them are not grown anymore because they had the steepest challenges. But, you know, they're like the soil. There's like building soil through people and change, right? And, like, they are building up your organic matter and your biological activity. That's right. To to grow the next, like, bit of change. and Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. Keep going. Well, no, no, I'm just going to say that my my first experience was that, I don't know how I came across it, but I think in 2007 or something, they did a real small conference in Douglas, Georgia, where Joel Salatin came down, and I got their their little publication about the conference. And I just, it blew my mind, because I was working on the family farm, trying to figure out what in the heck to do with myself, picking up eggs, and um, looking around, thinking like, well, I really love this place, and I care about this Chestnut Mountain more than any other place in the whole world. But there's really not a, a set place for me here, socially or even financially. Although, like, I feel obligated to be here, and there's no real understanding, like, how you know, how to, where's my place in this, and like, how are we gonna continue like farming? And I saw all this development around us with just strip mall after like, strip mall after strip malls. Like, this is not what, this is not the Georgia I want to live in, the Georgia that like where every place looks like Gwinnett. You know, it's just highways and strip malls and subdivisions, like everywhere mm-hmm. i mean i'm not saying that like we don't need those things in places i'm just saying that like i don't need that from i don't i i I've, i believe more in in nature than i do in humanity um i i don't hate humanity but i mean nothing you just don't want it around that's right that's right that's right i may have went too far with the nature thing although i do find that like it, it's generally more interesting than would than humanity most of the time um but i uh and so I just, I can't, I saw this is the group, this is the only group in Georgia that's actually talking about other opportunities. It's talking about local food and healthier food. Like, you know, I grew up in this, like, surrounded around by 35,000 chickens. You know, I didn't know, and, and the cows. And like, all I knew from my experience is that the chickens were picked up by a truck and the cows, we took to the cow sale 45 minutes away in Forsyth and on the at John Down Road. And on the way back, we stopped at the grocery store and picked up some hamburger and we ate. And it's like, Wait a minute. The can like we're like this is a broken system in which we don't really value farmers the way we should. And here we're living on 300 acres with you know f- 36,000 animals or whatever it was at the time. And the only thing we we don't even have a garden. The only thing we eat is, is a couple of pecans that fall down every year. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like, these people are actually doing that. And then my first one was just really a great memories. My first conference, which was it's just a really wonderful gift for me and um uh just just a good good great, great memory was that um was in Atlanta it was in partnership with the Sconde uh, this the no, sorry the de Scofier at uh Agnes Scott is that what's called mm-hmm. and um Michael Pollan was a keynote speaker and I sat at a table with Janice Ray and Raven I think too and wow. um you know and I guess I don't know if Will Harris—he was probably around—but all these other folks were there. They were just kind of, you know, Nicholas Donk is on stage. God, yeah. Donk, oh.
1: oh yes, go ahead. Please talk about him. N- for a
0: second. I mean, it just—I mean, Nicholas Donk is a, a, hes one of the most, most successful organic farmers, maybe the most successful small-scale organic farmer in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think he's Dutch. His family is right, and they have a little farm out in Mansfield, Covington area. Yeah, Newburn newburn that's right that's right yeah and, um when he when and, when
1: he i i visited his farm one time and his kid was like walking around in the greenhouse in the hoop houses you know and his kid picked up a piece of fennel and like started chewing on it and, and the guy's like here try this you know and try it tastes like licorice doesn't it? and i'm like holy crap this guy
0: is so cool <laughs> he is cool, and, and and you know, and that's that thing too. Like when it opens up to you, you're like I've never had fennel, I've never seen fennel grow. Like I, like I don't. We didn't grow up eating turnips. I mean, I I would not turn to change my growing up at all. But like seriously, you know, it consisted of Captain D's and Po' Folks, and you know, and hamburgers and French fries on a Friday night, and you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe some Sam's store bought lasagna pans. I mean, it was not. There was nothing foodie about it.
1: Mm-hmm. No, me neither. We had Sloppy Joe's probably twice a week.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like, when, it, like when it got, the only time it got foodie is we, have, we had a pond by house, and I'd go catch some catfish and clean, and we you know, fry catfish. And oh, then, yeah. you know, make, make ice cream in the summertime out in the carport. But, well, it was the 80s, you know. I mean, I had a buddy that his dad always
1: hunted, and they would eat deer and stuff and fry fish and whatever. I remember going and, and eating deer with them and thinking, dang, man, this guy. His dad was, you know, he was a big guy too, you know, and he's like devouring this deer that was so tough I couldn't even chew it, <laughs> and and I felt like such a suburban guy. I was a, I was a kid, and his dad, you know, he's like cigarette in one hand, deer steak in the other, just like <laughs> getting after it, you know. But that's right, man. But we did grow up in the '80s. But it's cool, right? It's cool, like to hear that from you, that like. Because I think, man, I think you've helped more than you realize.
0: I think everybody, you know, I think we all do. It's just, it's just such a slow process, right? You just wanted to have a chicken processor in Georgia by now. You wanted to have more small family farms that were like doing well. Um, And, you know, this is, it goes back to distribution. You can be a good farmer and grow good stuff, but, like, it's this is the harder nut to crack. And, and the reason we have farming the way we do is because it it's the most efficient way to do it, to go big and to have these, you know, huge players in the industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which But there are all these shortcuts that also have to be made in order to make that happen.
1: And, I mean, you're dealing with, you know, there was a concerted effort by the United States government to essentially force farms to either get big or get out and that happened in the 80s
0: right and it's, and then there was a concerted effort too, you know obviously with industrialization after world War ii but there was a concerted effort for people to get off the farm right i mean like like you have to go back to that conversation about, you know, we've lost all these farmers. Well, you like you can't forget that like as much as, as important and as, as dignified a, a job and role a farmer has, it also for a long time was just what the lowest rung of opportunity. So if you didn't have, you know, any, you didn't have education, everything else. And, and then you were a farmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so a, like it, that's yeah. right.
1: It's crazy. That's crazy. Right. What you just said, say that again. That's crazy.
0: That that farming, if, like farming, was the only thing that people could do. Uh, it was the lowest rung of the economic opportunity scale, mm-hmm. right? So like, and so poor people, poor black people, poor white people, they were farmers by necessity, not by choice. They didn't have any other options. You know, we they, there weren't like manufacturing jobs in the South or even in, you know anywhere really. Um, and we could say this anywhere. This this pertains to any place that's like of a rural character. And so you farmed because like the resource was land, not even, and in the South, not necessarily good land.
1: Mm-hmm. Or abused, and, it
0: had been abused through right. through uh, one
1: crop system. Right. It was over and over cotton after cotton after cotton with nothing else in between.
0: And without the education too. See, I think this is the part we'll go, we'll go back to over and over again, that the message has to be for all your organic farmers and your new farmers too, is that, is that there's an accusation from conventional side of things that says that it used to say, and I think it's, there's, it still holds water on their side a little bit, that, you know, this is like farming 100 years ago. Like, why would you go and do this? Why would you go and, like, create all this difficulty or not use chemicals? And the point that organics needs to push back and say is that this is actually, this is nothing like farming 100 years ago. This is a technologically advanced farming. The issue is, though, is that we, we, we think about technology in the wrong way. You think technology is, you know, uh, data and chemicals. We think technology is biological. It's soil. It's cover crops. It's it's um, beneficial insects. Like this is not like we don't farm if we're say, we as an organic farmer we don't farm anything like our grandparents farmed. Mm-hmm. And it's important to make that conversation and to like you know carve out that stance because. Um, you can't be defined by you cannot be properly defined by the av- your adversary
1: yeah that's right ooh,
0: ooh. that's right adversaries i don't like the adversary i didn't mean to say that but you can edit that out <laughs>